From the offices of Cocktail Collective, this is Cocktails to Stills, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. While they may be considered a relatively young brand, Australia's Never Never Distillery have very much taken the world by storm with their innovative Juniper First distillations. And their efforts have not gone unnoticed, as their recent win at the World Gin Awards for World's Best Classic Gin will attest. Yet it is their new distillery in the South Australian wine region of McLaren Vale that has influenced their latest expression, a wine-based gin. We talked to Never Never's brand director, Sean Baxter, about ginache, working with grapes, and of course, what cocktails this new liquid will work best in. Thank you for joining us, Sean. What a pleasure, Tiff. And you got there. Yes, it is the ginache. It is... uh... I think when I put that together, I was like, I wonder whether or not people will get it. Hopefully, it'll work out. (laughs) Now, more than any other country, Australians seem to be dabbling in wine-based gins. Why do you think that practice is so prevalent here? It's a great question. I I do think the Australian audience uh, makes a big difference. We're we're very active in our in our wine education. I think when you when you look at uh, our ability to I guess understand varietal, we're we're very we're quite advanced. I think in in terms of the way that we drink. Even 20 years ago, it would basically just be you know a glass of white or a glass of red. Now, even the most limited wine drinker would would be able to brand call the difference between a, a Sauvignon Blanc and a Chardonnay. And I, I take that pretty much from my mum, who was uh, grown up in Scotland, came over to Australia when she was in her mid-20s and, and pretty much just drank box wine up until she was 40 and now still drinks a variety of different varietals that she's picked up you know, along the way. So I think it has a lot to do with our education. And how much of an appeal do the wine-based gins have overseas, do you think? I think that they they, they, they really represent the Australian drinking vernacular a little bit more readily than, than anything else. We don't really have a, a traditional culture or spirit culture here. You know, like again, rum was consumed in, in Jamaica and, and lots of other places before it was sort of born from, born from Australia. So I think when it comes to the way that we're able to uniquely, I guess, interact grapes like Shiraz, grapes like Grenache into a, a gin style, it's a really clean representation, if you like, of, of Australian flavour. Now, you know, on one hand, you do have native character that, that certainly does demonstrate it more. But I think from a, from a pure availability or an understanding of availability, the wider consumer understands what Shiraz might taste like more than, than something along the lines of, of the native ingredients that we like to, to promote. Obviously, the choice of Grenache has been very much influenced by your neighbours at Chalk Hill in McLaren Vale, where you've moved mm-hmm. to. I believe that's a grape they specialise in. Absolutely. They guys smash it. <laughs> um, when it comes to award-winning Grenache fruit, the guys at Chalk Hill are, are leading the way. And it was, I guess, uh, it was indicative of, of trusting our collaborative partners, which is what we've done with all of our collaborations. We we use our, our collaborations not only to create delicious products, but also to help us, you know, along the way to, to give us an education around the best way forward when it comes to some of these dark series releases. Chalk Hill have been 
growing Grenache for decades and decades. So when it comes to trusting their, their intuition, when it comes to the, the fruit that they've created, it certainly has been a revelation to us and it's been a wonderful ride to, to go on so far. If people aren't familiar with Grenache as a, as a grape, can you describe the flavour, especially mm. against other wine varietals? Certainly, and this is coming from myself, who is certainly not, as you say, a, a very well-experienced wine drinker. But I guess the way that I like to sort of see the difference between, I guess, Grenache and uh, other varieties is that it's sort of this wonderful sort of medium-bodied style. It's nowhere near as dark and as earthy as as Shiraz, but it's it's probably not as as bright as some of the Pinot that you see on the market. For me, it's just this wonderful medium-bodied flavour that is packed with flavours such as orange rind, raspberries. Um, it can get darker all the way through to plum and tobacco, but you'll find it's usually quite medium-bodied, medium acidity with lots of plush berry character, and it's a real crowd pleaser. It's been a part of, of Australian viniculture for centuries and centuries. It's actually one of the very first varieties of grape that was planted in Australia. When you mix it with your gin base, mm-hmm. what sort of flavour does that bring out in the gin? That was really exciting for us because when we were experimenting with our triple juniper gin, which forms the base of, of the gin ash, we were looking at the way that some of those spicier characteristics, certainly things like we use uh, botanicals such as cinnamon and also pepperberry, would interact with the, the, the darker characteristics that you find in Grenache. But what was really fun and really inspiring was to see the way the lighter flavors played, which was uh, we use uh, citrus peel, such as lime and, and lemon, um, and they're very prevalent on the nose. Um, and when it comes to a, a, a wine-based gin style, uh, we're really excited to see the way that that citrus played with sort of the red fruit character. So the way that you know that lemon balm works so beautifully with things like raspberry was 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 a, a massive beautiful play for us, um, and it really kind of speaks of a very flexible gin style that has a, a variety of different applications in the drinks category. We'll get to cocktails and how it can be drunk a little bit later. But Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you chose the triple juniper as the base. Why was that? Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that for us, it's the, it's the most flexible of our styles. As you, as you progress through southern, uh, into the southern strength of juniper freak, they, they certainly are more concentrated towards a savourier than a more juniper forward approach. And when it comes to the triple juniper gin, it has a, a very flexible style. It's always been able to be used across a variety of different classic cocktails, for example. So when it came to being able to work beautifully with the flavours found in the Grenache steep, we found it to be certainly the, the, the most susceptible to be able to mould into that, into that flavour that we wanted. Do you want to describe mm-hmm. the tasting notes? So what the nose and the palate and all of that would be for this particular expression? I think the, the beautiful part about this was that we were just so impressed with the way that suddenly colour came into our play. Usually when you're talking about flavour profiles, you sort of really, in gin, colour never comes into it. And this is our first ex- uh, expression that, that has that. And for us, the, the, the cherry red kind of rose gold hue, was bright and luminous, was such an immediate appealing thing. And when it's diluted, it has this beautiful ripe watermelon kind of pink to it. So whether or not you're using soda or tonic water, it has that same appeal. The flavour is very much on the nose. It's, it's all bright raspberry, a little bit of that lemon balm character coming through. 
And again, the, the subtle hint of juniper still sits there on the nose uh, as a reference almost to pine needles. It, it still sits there quite present. The palette is really fun. Like I, I love the fact that it reminds me of, of Cornerstool Redskins, you know, that kind of that kind of sweet musky flavour. There's definitely a, a almost like a strawberry jamminess or a strawberry Kool-Aid there. There still okay. is tannin and that, that that's really important too. It can't just be a big, sweet, sticky sort of liqueur. There still needs to be something there that is it, it, referencing that wine character and the, almost like a pink lady talon, tannin sits there around the mid palette and leads off into quite a dry and, and long finish where the juniper still comes through. Uh, and there's still this sort of little hint of sort of sour cherry in there as well. It's a, it's a very fun and, and, and a very you know, flexible uh, gin style. By the sounds of it, it's automatically Instagrammable. Do you think <laughs> that people who are looking for pink gins are going to be drawn towards this particular expression? Absolutely. I think that when you look at the way that the pink gin revolution has, I guess, captured the imagination of the entire category, there will definitely be a, a section of, of consumers that are drawn towards it. And, you know, for the, they're an important bunch of consumers. They're bringing people into, into the gin market. And what we're hoping to do is, is, to, is to bring people into our brand to understand our, the flavours that we stand for and, and to begin exploring the rest of our portfolio as well. I think we'll also appeal to a wider range of, of wine lovers and wine appreciators as well who are also beginning to experiment with spirits, um, stepping away from from the, the wine for every occasion and looking at flavours that they understand that might sort of sit in a slightly different format. Talking about your portfolio, you've released its expression as part of the Dark Series. Can you tell us mm -hmm. a little bit more about what the Dark Series is about and how you decide whether things are included within it. The dark series for us was a place where we like to experiment. It was kind of built out of this idea of what we do in the shadows, this this sort of slightly um, obscure place where we, we position other products that we aren't 100% sure on, but potentially we're working through. Brands like Southern Strength Gin and also our Juniper Freak Gin both started off as, as dark series products, which we which we honed and then later released as core releases. And that's kind of the, the purpose for dark series. Now, not all of our dark series products will, will see the light of day, will become core releases. But for us, it's this wonderful place where we can continue to test and trial liquid, albeit in a very limited release capacity. It's also where we do a lot of our collaborations. We've done some amazing collaborations with PS40 in Sydney with our Aquavi and Black Pearl in uh, Melbourne with our Black Juniper Amaro. Both of those products still currently sit in our dark series. And we love the way that uh, especially bars around the country support those two products. So in a way, it's almost like the experimental corner of your distillery. Absolutely. It's where we just lock Tim up so he can play around. Tim's our, our head distiller, by the way, for your listeners. And it's where we allow him to kind of go a little bit nuts with some of the weird and wacky ideas that he comes up with. It's it's definitely a, a fun part of it. We are in this industry to, to, have, to have fun. So we really like to, to use that space as a way of, of, of seeing how people respond to slightly obscure and slightly left of centre liquids. Do you imagine that wine-based expressions will be something that you will continue to do in the future? It's, uh, it's a great question, Tiff, and when it comes to what, we're, what we 
are currently experiencing, which is this this surge in popularity of these wine varietal styles. I would certainly, I would certainly not rule it out. As you drive up the the driveway towards our distillery, it's it's an unavoidable when it comes to the amount of vines that you can see from our hilltop. It's it's the perfect spot to to consume something that is a, a wonderful amalgamation of both both gin and wine. For the moment, though, we really want to focus on our gin ash and, and how we can actually, I guess, expand that particular product. At the moment, it's quite a challenging product from a production perspective because it's very limiting in, in how much you can make at once. It's not like a normal gin. You are subject to availability and many other restrictions. So it, it, we're all about making sure we're able to create something that can scale first before we start looking at uh, potentially other expressions. Tell us a little bit about how the ginash is actually made. Absolutely. I think the biggest limitation when it comes to volume is is, is certainly the availability of, of fruit. Grenache is still a very small component of Clarendale's overall vintage. And when it comes to, I guess, the uh, the availability of fruit this year, on top of the, the absolutely devastating effect the bushfires had all across the country, there has been a shortages of of fruit, so this year we 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 were certainly, I guess, subject to that. Well, what we do is we pick the fruit when it's ready. That's very very important um, because when that fruit is ready, it, it will effectively create the most immediate amount of of red fruit character that we want to be able to achieve. We distem it, we then crush it, uh, we then uh, make a triple juniper gin style, which we keep at a very high ABV. So the the, the main reason for that is that we we, we don't want to let the, the grapes or the fruit sitting in a product that's going to take a while for that infusion process that process to happen. We want to keep that fruit integrity at its optimum, which means we have to do it very quickly. And that's one of the limitations in, in terms of how much we can make. We just simply didn't have enough room uh, to be able to make vast quantities of it because for that you need big vats and lots and lots of quite particular equipment. So ultimately, it is uh, all about making sure that you get that high-proof gin onto that fruit as quickly as you can after picking. It then sat on skins for around about a month. Um, after that process, we strained off the liquid. Effectively, what you'll find is that the grape juice itself is doing the dilution for the gin. We then pressed the remaining fruit in order to extract the final flavour of, of or the final remnants of that gin. And we then went through a blending process to make sure that there was the right balance between both of those those two separate liquids. We then did a very light filtration to make sure there was no actual solids that were coming through the process. And then we then bottled it. So start to finish, the process was very quick and that was important. Now, it's, it's also about making sure that consumers drink it quickly as well because when it comes to this particular product, just like any gin out there that's flavoured with um, or coloured, if you like, with natural fruit character, it will certainly change over time. I imagine that working with grapes was a whole new experience for you guys. How was it and was it what you expected? It was actually an amazing sort of little adventure for, for me personally because I wasn't the one doing it. I got to sit back and, and, and taste all the hard work when it was finished. But Tim Boast, who's our head distiller, uh, and also Jessica Hodge, who's uh, one of his assistant distillers, she's had a lot of background in, in winemaking. It's quite well known here in in South Australia for her winemaking prowess. So it was great to have 
her on board as well to be able to assist us in in some of the the finer details when it came to actually working with grapes. Of course, when it comes to our lovely neighbours, the Harveys were uh, were absolutely instrumental in being able to not only provide us with an incredible patch of of fruit to be able to select from, but were also there to assist us in that journey as well. So. We can't wait to do it again. It's a it's a really exciting process because it's it's so dependent on the fruit integrity. It's so dependent on when you're picking, you know, how the season's been. The vintage itself is such an amazing expression of how successful the actual release is going to be. So we can't wait to sort of see how that develops and changes over the years because it's definitely something we want to do again. If someone is approaching the ganache, how would you recommend they first taste it? If someone's approaching the Janash, I would definitely do it rapidly because there is bugger all left. <laughs> um, when it comes to tasting, it is very accessible. It obviously has a sweetness to it, and that sweetness is 100% from that grape flavour and, and, and those and those those natural sugars. So even for people that potentially aren't very comfortable drinking neat spirits, something like the Janash is, is, is very easy to understand, not only because most people kind of get a good understanding of what a what grape um, character might might taste like, but they also kind of get uh, an understanding of what gin sort of tastes like. So when you actually taste it neat, it is the, a, a meeting of those two worlds. And for me, it's a, a wonderful thing to actually consume just cold. You hinted at the fact that it has been a very limited release. How many bottles mm-hmm. did you actually make? We made just a tick under 2,500. Uh, I say just a tick because I can't remember how many I've drunk now, but it's been at least... <laughs> six or seven so there's yeah there's there's 20 before we before we put it on a label when they were clean skin so there's there's about 2500 bottles in this run which for us is by far and away one of the smaller runs that we've ever done of the dark series of course our very first dark series we made 100 bottles of southern strength and we sold that in a weekend so we've always we've always decided okay if we're going to go through this process we need to make sure we we at least make you know, five to 6,000. That was just not something that we were able to do due to the fruit availability. So uh, it will go very fast and we, we make no apologies for that. We, we're, we're happy with this particular experiment and we'll have to wait until next vintage to, to see it pop its head up again. And I'm assuming my next vintage, you mean next year? That's correct, yeah. But basically, we'll be looking at doing this around the same time each year, February, March. And again, entirely dependent on, on, on the grape. Now, you were talking about the bottles that you've been drinking. How have you been mm-hmm. drinking it? Well, my wife would attest far too quickly, but I, I would probably suggest it a variety of classic serves because for me, those classic serves really showcase its its flexibility and how, how easily it does work. I've enjoyed it as a Tom Collins. I think that for me is probably the strongest serve just because it is just – such a simple but but beautiful way of consuming gin. I don't think enough people drink a, a Tom Collins these days, which is which is simply a marriage of gin, lemon juice, sugar, uh, and a splash of soda water served in a tall glass with a, a slice of lemon. It creates this beautiful, almost uh, punch-like experience in terms of the, the variety of different flavors that are going on in there. It feels like you're drinking a far more complex cocktail when in actual fact it's it's it is very simple in its structure. I do like it as a gin and tonic. I kind of prefer to drink it with less tonic. There is sweetness in the gin, so if you if you use it as a as a, as a standard gin and tonic serve with 30 mils and 120 mils of tonic water, I find it does get a bit sweet. So I do like it maybe 30 mils of gin to about 
you know, 60 mils of tonic water. So I, I serve it quite short in a short glass over a big rock of ice. And I, I quite like that. And of course, if you like a Negroni, you know, if most, I find most people that like a Negroni will drink a Negroni with any kind of gin, to be fair. Um, but this nice. one does make a particularly, a particularly good one, especially if you find a, a vermouth that is, I guess, representative of the, the Grenache style that we've, that we've selected. So often you'll find a lot of the beautiful Australian vermouths that are, that are knocking around today work really, really well with the Grenache. Now, you've mentioned vermouth, um, also the bitterness of Campari and citrus as being flavours mm. that work well with this liquid. What other mm. flavours could people experiment with as far as cocktails? I absolutely love everything that the guys at Marionette do. I think they are superstars when it comes to liqueur flavour here in Australia. There is a particular cocktail called the Charlie Chaplin, very, very Famous cocktail that's traditionally served with sloe gin. If you place the Janache in place of sloe gin in this particular recipe and use equal parts Janache, apricot brandy and lime juice, quite a simple recipe. Shake it and strain into a, a cocktail glass. You'll get this wonderful sherbetty, bright pink, delicious cocktail that has wonderful depth and, and wonderful complexity. So I would certainly recommend if you know your way around a cocktail tin to potentially go out and find yourself a delicious apricot brandy and give it a try. People don't know their way around a cocktail tin. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, what has the reaction of bartenders been to the release? Well, bartenders were one of the, my biggest – I was really focused on creating something that bartenders wanted to pick up as well. That's always been a focus of Never Never. And so far it's been amazing. This is one of those spirits that is, again – very easy to understand. It jumps off a cocktail list uh, and it speaks to wine consumers. And again, that's a, a really important thing when it comes to upselling someone, you know, from a, from a gin and tonic onto a cocktail. If you can, if you can bring that world into, into your cocktail list, it makes it more appealing. So I think the idea of having something that's easy to understand where all, a lot of the hard work has been done for you in terms of complexity of flavor, all you're needing to do is just brighten the edges and, and add your own creative twist to it, I think it certainly has the, the capacity to be very, very popular in bars and restaurants around Australia. What sort of, if, if people are using it in a more aperitif style, what sort of food do you think would work well? Oh, now, that's another amazing question. Like, it's, it's hard to go beyond traditional sort of pairings when it comes to you know Grenache it still represents that albeit you know slightly more uh, gin forward in its intensity I still love the way this plays with soft cheeses in the in the, in the place of things like fig pastes the the creaminess and the richness of uh, double cream or triple cream cheeses has the capacity to sort of be cut through with the acidity that can still be found in the Janache. There still is an, uh, an acidity that's associated with the wine, so it does have the capacity to be able to cut through those richer flavours. Uh, I do love it with like a duck liver parfait or or something that has that wonderful mouth-coating buttery element that works so perfectly with with these styles of, of, of aperitif. So those would be my two choices, I think. Uh, and, of course, you can never go wrong with, with olives and almonds, uh, two other products that are massively uh, a part of the McLaren Vale region in terms of production and certainly find their way onto many, many pairing lists around the region. Now, unfortunately, you're not in a position, well, no one is in a position at the moment to be able to have guests 
to their cellar doors to be able to do food pairings. Mm-hmm. But can you tell people what you've found so special about the Chalk Hill area where you are in McLaren Vale? When I was very young, I grew up on a farm and, and a lot of the, the, the adults I had interaction with when I was a young young man were, were farmers, were producers, were people that were really born from the land and they're a very different type of personality. And I, I, I don't think I had truly interacted with too many of them in my adult years as a bartender and then as an ambassador until I, I reached McLaren Vale and started having conversations with locals, started speaking with uh, Tom and Jock Harvey, the two, the two brothers that run uh, Chalk Hill Wines. It's incredible to, to sort of meet those characters and to, and to see how genuine and how, how generous they are, not only with their time, but also their knowledge. For me, that has been such an incredible part of being welcomed into that particular part of the world is to experience that, I guess, rural hospitality or regional hospitality, which was something that uh, I had forgotten about. Hopefully, with any luck, people will be able to get up to Chalk Hill fairly soon. But in the meantime, if they're looking to buy this expression, has it been released wider than just your website or is it just the website because it is so limited? We're currently trying to control the the release because it is so limited by selling it through our website, but our distributors are also selling it as well. So you'll be able to find it in some very, very select independent retailers around the country. So if you are looking for it, certainly call up your your local your local indie and and request it immediately because we do have a, a very small amount, around about five to six hundred bottles that have gone through our distribution company and again uh, which is proof and co i should mention and they they are uh, distributing it across to uh, a very small number of other retailers now obviously it won't be the case for this release but next year when hopefully it will be a larger release will you be exporting at all it's a great question, Tiff, and I, I, it will certainly depend upon the state of the world and where we are at as a business. I guess we would love to see how this particular product interacts in the UK and US markets, especially off the back of the success of other you know, amazing representations of the category like Bloody Shiraz. For us, we want to kind of really focus on growing and, and building the, the business locally first and, and kind of go through that rebuilding phase. So by this time next year, we're considering you know, exporting the product, that would be an amazing, amazing sort of acceleration of where we think would be. But I still think it's, it's, we want to aim high and, and that would be, the, that would be our goal, certainly. So basically, if you're local to Australia, get it quickly. And if you're not, you may have a little while to wait. That's it. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I dare say it's definitely going to be a product that we're going to continue to experiment with and uh, release. Uh, we are actually holding on to um, a significant amount of bottles for sale at the distillery. We didn't want to sell everything through the to our website and, and leave nothing for our distillery door when we open up in June. So we are, despite if we sell out online, we're still going to make sure that we have some on site, which will hopefully bring a few more people up to um, to visit our beautiful space. Cool. Well, we encourage people to go. But in the meantime, if they want more information on the Jinash, they can obviously go to your website, which is neverneverdistilling.com.au. Thank you for joining us, Sean. What an absolute pleasure, Tiff. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode 
of cocktails distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.